we have a 30 second, here's the deal. Nice job. Or, Hey, don't worry about it. We'll talk tomorrow. Um, you have two songs. He literally gives his players two songs to go see grandma, kiss the girlfriend, get a Gatorade, tell, tell them I'll meet you at red Robin in an hour. Then they come back for field work and coach says, we will not address anything with baseball until the next day because they're not listening and it's overrated. I actually love that, my brother. There actually is no such thing as failure. It's just a part of the process. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. I cannot thank you enough for joining me as we connect today with one of the most authentic humans I think I've ever crossed paths with. Before we do that, though, a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netic Pros. They have powered the High School Coaches Club literally for years. If you need any facility improvements, make Netting Pros your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreens, ball carts, which we have one and it is amazing. You name it, they'll do it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, which is also named nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros. They're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Brian Beltramo. He's a life coach. He's a culture coach. He runs a nonprofit called One Thing, W-O-N, One Thing, with his wife of 30 years, Sherry. He's a constant host of the Winning Starts Now podcast. He's the volunteer team chaplain for the baseball program at Grand Canyon University, which he's done for nearly a quarter of a century. And he's the spring training team chaplain for the Milwaukee Brewers. I crossed paths with him at the Northwest Baseball Coaches Association convention in January of this year. And I was enthralled. I was floored. I was blown away. It was so good. And now I'm pumped to get to share our conversation with you right here on this platform. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 94 with Brian Beltramo. All right, Brian Beltramo, thank you so much for doing this with me, man. Uh, it's an honor. Uh, I'm I'm pumped up to see what uh, what Max wants to unpack today. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you. So, kind of funny. We probably I didn't even talk to you about this off air, but um, I had emailed you after watching you at the Northwest Baseball Coaches Conference in Portland uh, a few weeks ago, and waited a little while, and was like, "Yeah, I, th- I think this guy would be awesome to have on the podcast." So I sent you an email. Hey, man, you want to do a podcast? And then just crickets. And I'm like, well, I don't think this is the type of guy who finishes up his, uh, you know, his conference presentation and says, hey, contact me if you ever want, and then just ghost me. And then I wait about a week, and then I check my spam folder. I've got not one, but a, a, even a second email from you following up of just being like, hey, man, just checking in. And so I just really appreciate you, the fact that you did respond like right away, and that you also followed up on it, too. Well, it's funny. So what you're basically calling me out on is my strike zone is inconsistent, right? And so you're <laughs> asking me to be a guest on the pod, and then you think 
that I've ghosted you. And then here's what's crazy. This goes multiple ways. How many times do we actually check the spam or the junk? And you haven't even asked me a question yet, but the players that we coach, guess what we could actually label some stuff they're going through. They all have, they all have junk folders. It's just not tangible or seeable. Maybe it is by an attitude, but yeah, we were trying to connect, but yet we missed because of technology. That's kind of funny. Yeah, it's kind of the way it goes. So then I, you know, I, I start diving in and trying to learn a little bit about you and, and get a little bit deeper and ended up uh, actually yesterday listening to uh, a most recent podcast that you did, uh, the Winning Starts Now podcast, and you had Rich Dorman on. And he's a pitching coach, you know, here at Oregon State, which is just about 40 minutes down the road from where I am sitting right now. And Rich is talking to you and you guys are kind of going over some things. And he, he gets into talking about Corbin University, which is probably about three uh, minutes from where I'm sitting right now. And then he, he talks about his head coach at the time. There was Paul Gale. And Paul Gale's son is Rocky Gale. And Rocky Gale is a kid that I played high school baseball with. And then he went off to to play a little bit of Major League Baseball, had a cup of coffee, hit a home run um, for the Padres. And then now Rich Dorman's at OSU, of course. And he just finished up coaching Ryan Brown, who was his closer for the past few years, who played for me at South Salem High School here, here in Oregon. And just like a, it just like... It just reminded me of how small of a world this whole baseball thing is that I just I, I see you at a conference, connect with you, and then you're connecting with Rich Dorman, who's from the Paul Gale tree. And it's just it's such a small, small world. Which is really interesting because a year ago, there's nothing on my radar to speak in Portland in January of 2024. Right. <laughs> so now look at the the trickle. Um, down effect or the ripple in the pond of, yeah, Dor, Dor and I go back to Grand Canyon when he was named the pitching coach. Mm -hmm. And so it is a small world, but I would also say it's connected because of the brotherhood of baseball. And then this is obviously a spiritual word, but we always talk about like, oh, well, this coach is on Bobby Knight's coaching tree. Like he's a disciple of Bobby Knight. And I'm like, there's no way Mike Shashevsky is a disciple of Bobby Knight. Mike Shashevsky's right. not throwing chairs. So different, but, right? But it's actually true because they both were together at a certain season for a certain reason at the army. And so it's like, Man, I know we're going to talk about education and coaching and stuff like that, but you want to get me fired up. It's talking about coaches who leave a legacy and make a crazy impact. Well, and, and Paul Gale here locally did that for a long time. And so it was cool to hear his name dropped on your podcast. And it's a name that I hadn't heard in probably 15 or 20 years since I played with his son. And so to hear that was really cool. So you're you're at the Northwest Baseball Coaches Conference. I was down there as well. And I I can't even remember who spoke before you, but I was there listening. And then I have a five-minute break, right, between presentations. So I get up, go get a drink of water. And I'm in the lobby and end up talking to a couple friends that are out there. And then I, I, you know, I mosey back into the room. And you're already, like, gone and going. Like, you're probably five minutes into your presentation. And so I go and, and grab my seat. And I'm watching you and listening to you. And I was just, I mean this sincerely, I was really blown away by how authentic you seemed to me. Like you, every once in a while you see someone speak and you feel like they're kind of saying some things, blowing some smoke. They're not really being true to what they actually are like. And, and when I was listening to you and watching you speak, I was just captivated uh, by you up on the stage. 
Well, that means a lot. Um, I've been speaking publicly um, probably since I was in middle school, meaning I grew up in a beautiful Italian family in Southern California. And I am not overstating this, Max. I think we went to a wedding about every other weekend. And so <laughs> if you're going to eat at an Italian restaurant, you better be able to speak a little bit. So I come from a long line of orators, but it really begins in college. Um, my first job at a college, I work at a TV station in San Antonio. I get to cover high school football, Friday Night Fever. I get an anchor job back in Tucson covering the Wildcats, which is my alma mater. But to say that you sense that there was an authenticity about me, all I can say that to that, buddy, is glory to God, because that's not me up there. I really try to connect. And um the funny thing is that I was speaking right before Tanner Swanson of the Yankees. And I remember getting my microphone on and I was like, do not go long. No one showed up in Portland, Oregon to hear Brian Beltrama, who's nameless and faceless and somehow got the, the topic of culture, you know? So I'm like, do not go long. So I actually have a hard time remembering faces in the room that day. Because I, I tried to be so dialed. I think they said that you got 30 minutes, maybe 40. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to go 28 and change and walk off this stage. And whatever happens, happens. <laughs> well, it was fantastic. You even found a way to pull in the Oregon Ducks, which was a good local idea for you. You brought in that, that Bo Nick story, which um, was really cool. You played this video. I think it was from like an ESPN clip of Bo Nix. And it was really his parents talking about the uh, you brought up the word culture just a second ago so that's what i'll go with but how just the, the culture at oregon was exactly what he needed and what what his his family thought he needed and and you you showed the relationship that bo Nix has with his head football coach here dan lanning down in oregon and um it was just really cool to watch you and i had mentioned this off air as well for me there's a specific moment and i i sent this in my first email to me that you you did not ghost me on and that first email i sent to you i, I mentioned that i i thought you had a move that was just really really cool to see from like a ten thousand feet away move of just like wow that was really powerful you grabbed a pitch counter you know, and you're, you, you, you grab it. You don't even mention it. Like you're, you're 10 minutes into your speech, maybe, I don't know, eight minutes in your presentation somewhere in there. You just grabbed it off the, off the podium and you carried it. You kind of held it. You looked at it a couple of times, but you kept talking about whatever you're already talking about. Like you, and I'm just watching him like at some point, what is he going to say about this clicker? And then you said what you said about the clicker. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy is awesome. Well, thank you. Um, so I'm going to just be real. A lot of times there's things that I prepare and then like the day before I fly out of town or literally a half an hour before the presentation, I asked my son Bennett and he's in charge of all of our marketing and mm -hmm. social media. He's, he's running the podcast. He has a he has an unbelievable gift. He just got done playing college baseball and he's like, pops, I want to join you and mom on the road. And I want to help build this ministry and this platform for you. And I said, all right, let's give it a shot. And literally Max, before I go on stage, I said, Bennett, give me your AirPod. And he's like, what are you doing? Do not get tricky. Do not get cute. You know, think about a hitting coach. He's like, you got way too much on your dome. Just see ball, hit ball. And I go, no, give me give me an AirPod because I want to know how coaches respond visually mm -hmm. when they work with a hitter who candidly isn't listening and maybe too cool for school and they have one AirPod in. Now, 
if you and I were putting balls on a tee for a major leaguer, we would never address an AirPod. We would be like, whatever you want to do to get right, bro, you just go hit linias. No kidding. So I have the AirPod literally 10 minutes before I go on stage, Max, but I picked up a pitch counter the night before we flew out to Portland and I literally just felt like this is the clicker not to count pitches. This is a clicker to count how many conversations we can have with each player each day. Now, we're not chasing perfection. One of my phrases is perfection left town 2,000 years ago, but we are chasing the process of connecting with our guys, or if you're a softball coach, your ladies, and does does the young person on the on the game changer, do, do they get talked to by you? Does, does the person running the scoreboard, do they get a quality conversation? And one of the things I said was, you might be an introvert and you might be like, Beltramo, you're crazy. I'm not going to go talk to my players. Like I'm just the hitting coach or I'm just the skipper. And I actually have some social awkwardness. And I tried to say, Max, well, if that's not you, you better get someone on your staff who can connect and can converse. And I actually just loved playing catch with our guys. Yes, there was probably some ego that wanted them to see that the 53-year-old can still pick it and have a hose piece. But the pitch counter to me, it's radically flipped in the last two months. I want to be a clicker and a clicker. Man, who have I talked to today? And who have I not talked to? So the next day, they'll be my first person I go address and say, how is history? How's your mom doing? What they serve in the cafeteria today, if there's such a thing as a cafeteria anymore. Well, that's one of the the biggest things about, I, I think, for coaching high school that um, will connect with a lot of people that we will have tuning into this conversation is the if if we could take a percentage of conversations that we're having with one given player, let's say over the course of a season, like how what's the percentage that we're actually talking about our sport, whether it's baseball, football, whatever, it doesn't matter. And then what's the percentage that we're talking about? Like you said, what was what was the food like today? Like, where'd you go for lunch? Uh, what's the, what's this class doing? How are you doing in this class? Like, what's this teacher like? Hey, how's your how's your girlfriend doing? I, I'd be I, I, just trying to think of our program. We're probably like 90% is that stuff and 10% is baseball. And so like the baseball thing is really cool and we love it and it's amazing. But it really is. It's just a vehicle for for life and like connecting with these kids during the time that we're gifted to be with them. Well, and guess what? We're going to talk about baseball. We're going to, we're going to talk about playing catch. We're, we're going to talk about doing band work. We're going to talk about our catcher needs to sit and receive and block the baseball better, especially with a runner on third base. What I've found in my journey is that I'm constantly learning from other coaches and I'm picking the brains of men who have gone before me. And obviously we all have gifts and talents. We need to hammer those things, but I just want to be a leader. Um, I want to, I, I literally said this prayer years ago. I said, God, I pray you would allow me to throw a batting practice the rest of my life. So I could tell people about your amazing grace. And right now I feel like God is somehow allowing my noodle in my shoulder every now and then to throw a room service. Like I want to make hitters. I want to be a guy that makes confident hitters. And oftentimes in today's world, I totally get a coach says, Hey B, no more BP out of you today. 
because we're actually not ready for our Friday opponent who's throwing 88 or he's actually <laughs> touching a nine and we need a hack attack. And I'm like, absolutely. Get me the heck out of the way. I'll go bang a fungo. I'll go, I'll go shag. I'll do whatever. But I think we have to realize that we're coaching the most difficult sport in the entire planet and connection is key. Well, you mentioned you mentioned confidence, which I think is a huge thing <laughs> to unpack. Um, when when I think of confidence with with baseball, I also go through the brain of of high school kids because that's obviously what I spend my my time and my life working with. And when I think of our guys, I think of guys who are in this world where confidence. It seems like, and I have no data to support this. It feels like confidence is getting harder to come by for a lot of them. And I, we could get into all the reasons why of, of, you know, we could blame the usual social media and just the world we live in and instant gratification and whatever it might be. It doesn't really matter, though. When I think of confidence, like trying to help kids gain confidence, I feel like it's the most almost probably the most valuable thing I can give them in any given moment is just the confidence of knowing that you are prepared for this, whatever this situation might be. Right. Just trying to give them more and more and more confidence because so few have the amount that they probably should have based on how how great of people they actually are. Well, that's interesting. Now we're talking about identity. Now we're talking about can you separate you, Brian, from your box score? And typically mm-hmm. the box score typically the box score fuels emotion. The box score picks the meal that we're going to have after a juego or a game. And so we're in a performance-dominated world, but it's actually interesting, Max, because this entire fall semester, a lot of my speaking engagements have been with high school student-athletes or athletic departments and definitely some college athletes at Grand Canyon University where I've got to serve as the volunteer baseball chaplain since the year 2000. Confidence is a real conversation. And one of my favorite things I've learned recently about this buzzword, Max, is my wife was actually doing a life coaching call for a client and they were struggling with confidence. And I think the phrase was, hey, hey, Sherry, ask Brian or, 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 hey, Brian, talk to Sherry, your wife about confidence. So one night the wife and I sat down at the dinner table, kids are in college, they're out of the house, we're empty nest. And the deal with confidence was the question was, I've lost my confidence. How do I get it back? And I, I, I was so grateful for the client's ability to articulate that so well. And my wife goes, well, here's the brilliant thing about that, babe. She goes, if they've lost their confidence, it means they've had it before. So now let's go back and retrace the steps. Okay, what gave you confidence? Well, I prepared. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Well, I love the weight room. Okay, ding, ding, ding. Well, in fall ball, my confidence came after a great performance. Okay, now that's the slippery scale. Because fall ball performances are awesome, but that doesn't mean it's going to translate to the spring. So how do we get into these things that you can control? And yeah, social media is a big one with the comparison game. But I literally think there needs to be more confidence coaches out there. And I think the more we compare ourselves to others in the statistical dominated world that we're in, I believe mental health and confidence issues are going to go downhill so we need more conversations like this with you and I, Max. It, things kind of changed for me when I had a kid. So Bailey is four. He's amazing. Like I love him to death. And like when I watch him play and, you know, play with him, 
uh, like recently he got into basketball. So like this morning he had this little basketball practice, which consists of an hour of another adult just basically teaching them how to listen to directions, right? Let's run like a frog or whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, but then at some point they get basketballs out for a few minutes and do some basketball things or whatever. And he really likes it. And so like this morning, even before we left to go to basketball practice, uh, he wanted to practice his dribbling in our house. So he's got his little basketball and he's dribbling up. And he'll make it like three dribbles before he inevitably hits his foot or like hits the couch or the wall or something. And he gets like overly frustrated. And as an adult, like my first reaction is like, dude, like <laughs> it doesn't matter at all. Just pick the ball back up and go. But like for him, like when you try to put yourself into the mind of a four-year-old, like that, your your game was just ruined. Like that's the end of the world right the second. And then I, when you kind of translate that and we get into like working with high school kids and you you factor in of like a girlfriend being at the game or your parents at the game. And maybe your parents are great. Maybe your parents put too much value in your on-field performance, whatever it might be. But from the, from the moment I've had a kid, it's kind of changed the way I coach players during games because now it has it really has become so much about building confidence in them. And like Rich Dorman, who was just on your podcast, the idea of the next pitch being so important, regardless, which I love what he said, it's regardless of what just happened, whether your your last pitch was one that a guy struck out on, which you could be riding that high, that could be a problem too of like, now I'm now my next pitch, I, I throw one right down the middle, and the guy hits a home run. Well, now the pitch I threw just before it, that's not very important anymore, is it right? And so I feel like just so much of what I do now is all about helping guys be more confident. And for some of them, that's, that's hard. Well, and let's just talk about, let's talk about your coaching a game and your pitcher gives up a nuke. Um, I started saying this about seven years ago and I don't know if it's factually correct, but I was trying to get a Jedi mind trick for some of our guys. So obviously we give up a nuke. Hopefully we're in the lead when that happens. And I would just say, so what? Right. And someone else says, so what? And then when I was coaching at Northwest Christian in Phoenix, uh, I was there about six, seven years as an assistant. Um, our dugout was on the first base side. And I would say, fellas, it doesn't matter. That's a momentum killer. Like, I don't care about the nuke. Uh, who cares? Next pitch, so what? And I'm telling you, momentum's on our side. Now, think about how laughable that is when the first base coach is looking at our dugout being like, <laughs> that guy's a rodeo clown, but I loved it from a reset button. If we give up double after double after double, we are in deep yogurt. There's a guy on base. We're pitching out of the stretch stretch. I didn't mind. Even if it was my son giving up a solo nuke or a two run nuke, I'm like, it's okay. No one's on base attack it next pitch. But I literally would be saying things that were somewhat laughable, but I actually believed them. Like, it's a momentum killer. Who cares? No one's on base. Let's attack. And maybe that's maybe why I'm not a college pitching coach right now. <laughs> well, you've also said once before, I can't remember if it was on a podcast or if it was in, in person when we were uh, at the Northwest Baseball uh, Conference, um, but you, it, maybe it was a quote. I can't, I'm having a hard time remember it, but I remember saying something about uh, the days of dictatorships are over and you kind of talking about the, what you're saying in a dugout, in the first base dugout to me is, is a really good example of how 
maybe hopefully maybe a lot of coaches are changing the way they they've done things before in that I feel like many of us can imagine ourselves being in that dugout where a teammate gives up a home run and like I'm in the dugout like I'm not even in the game right now and the coach would like turn and like get upset at us like should have shown you know thrown a pitch there like but getting frustrated at me in the dugout and being like I'm not even on the field coach uh and it it reminds me of that quote of the dictatorships are are kind of a thing of the past or you, you can't really be successful with them anymore yeah, so that quote um, came straight from a high school baseball coach uh, here in Arizona, highly successful. His name's Jason Heisey. Uh, he and I That's were right, college, yeah. college roommates uh, at the University of Arizona for a semester or two. Jason played. I got cut twice. Um, Jason, I think, led the South Atlantic League one year in strikeouts, drafted by the Cardinals. Well, he's from KU. He's from Klamath Union. And I asked his permission. I said, hey, can I share this quote from you? And I thought it was so next level. He said, Brian, the days of dictatorships are over. And then what's really unique about that is that sometimes we have phrases or we have thought processes, Max. And if we win a state championship, everything becomes justifiable. I don't actually believe mm-hmm. that. I think state championships are great. And if you're fortunate to win one, you probably got lucky. You probably had a transfer dude. You maybe got a call bracketology rolled the white right way. Now you can be a factory and you can win state titles every year because you're a machine and that's awesome. But I remember going to watch coach Heisey at his previous school and they would get to the ship and they would lose and they would get to the ship and they would lose and they would get to the ship and they would lose. Not because he's a bad coach, not because he didn't have talented players. He said, B, I used to be a dictator at my previous stops and they do not work. They don't create the long lasting life results you want. And so it's not magic. They've won back-to-back state titles um, in Arizona now at his new school. And he's told me, he's like, I've changed. And I, and I got that text and that quote, Max. And I was like, isn't that the goal for all of us is that we're on this transformation journey to not be who we were when we were in our 18s and our 20s and we were certifiable nut jobs. <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, the the book Transformational Coaching, which I read a long time ago. I know your wife has talked about working in a coffee shop and feeling like it's so transactional. And so this this world of coaching is so cool because we have a chance to be transformational all the time. I remember you also during the conference, you put up that image of Aaron Boone. And then first you're like, hey, you know, forgive the what he does to umpires and things like that. And some of the words he uses, but you you put him up there because he had this great quote on on being a player's coach. Um, so I guess I'd ask you to define that. Like what what does it mean in today's world uh, for especially high school coaches, but any coach doesn't really matter. What does it mean to be a player's coach? So I've studied this for a long time and I appreciate the question. Um, I texted Booney and again, the only people I ever referenced Max in that presentation were coaches that I actually know. I don't want to be a, someone that just names drops for names drops purposing sake. Like Aaron and I got to MC a few events when he was living in Scottsdale. Uh, we got to interview some, some uh, pro athletes. Um, he used to be on ESPN, was really good at color commentating. And so I said, Booney, you know, what do you got on being a, a player's coach? And his re- exact response was, I would like to think that I'm a player's coach. He also said it can look a lot different it could look a lot of different ways. I think a player's coach, Max, at its core, actually gets back to servant leadership. Some people would say 
That's the only kind of leadership there is. If I'm going to lead and be up front and say, look at me, well, that's actually fine in certain scenarios. In a team-based culture, like think about this. Why do they call Major League Baseball skippers a manager and not a coach? Well, you're managing egos. You're managing personalities. You're managing a gigantic roster. They, they don't call a football coach a, like a football manager. Like Shanahan's a head coach. Now, someone else probably has to manage that stuff, but I think at its core, a player's coach actually goes to the yard thinking more about how to get their guys dialed in than my success or my resume or my W and L. And here's the great thing. If we're really honest, we've probably been a little bit of both. And so I want to definitely fall on the side. I know my players' names. I want them to be the best they can be and reach their limited potential. But man, I want to serve them. Um, this is kind of crazy. After I would throw BP, I actually love power shagging. Like I want to shag and I want to beat some of my guys to the ball so I can be like, hey, we need to pick it up a little bit. We need to hustle. So I want them to see me actually serving as opposed to just talking about it. It's funny you bring that up. I, As you literally just said that, I thought of like, oh my gosh, that's actually my favorite part of any practice we ever have is when the days work out where I get to end up being in the outfield and shagging with guys. And, you know, we're a high school program, so a normal high school program too. We're not one of those that has, you know, 45 guys on the varsity roster and like a bench of, and in real bullpen where pitchers go out there, like our, our left fielder is going to come in and be our closer sort of a thing. Right. Um, and so there's lots of times where we have, you know, batting practice set up or whatever, and I get to be in the field or even if we're scrimmaging and I get to, you know, be the right fielder. Um, I go crazy on those days and I, I try to be the loudest guy on the field. I try to be the most obnoxious, like energy ridden guy on the field because I feel like when I, when I do that, not only do the players see me having fun and it helps hopefully remind them of like, Hey, baseball's fun. Uh, but I think it also kind of pulls them up to that level. And then I think ultimately, what it does is allows me to have better relationships with them because then I get to be more of one of them than I am this, uh, I mean, dictator, for example, like this other guy who just happens to be leading the team, so to speak. Well, and every time you get out there with your guys, it's a chance to check your ego. And it's also like, okay, we need a right fielder. Like we need to have someone out there. And Man, I was talking to a college player uh, last week. I won't, I won't tell you the school, but um, I said, "Hey, what do you got? What do you got on that on that drill?" Or, "Hey, hey, what do you got um, with that style of, of leadership?" And this player said, "B, man, I love it. I love it because you can see that coach wants it so bad for us." Mm. And I just made a little mental note, like again, these simple words, like. Coach wants, okay, we all want, okay, so bad for us. And I was like, us, us, okay, we can build a house on us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes me think of when I've had, when I make decisions on like a lineup, for example, um, I, I've, I don't know when this transition, it probably happened during COVID if I'm trying to think of it. Cause in 2020, like most high school teams, our season was canceled. Our seniors lost out, you know, and then the next year we have uh, the seniors who stayed, they, um, who, you know, didn't graduate early. And I made a decision that year in 2021 to 
to have our seniors play as much as possible, even when it might lead to us possibly like losing a high school baseball game uh, because I wanted to do right by giving them an opportunity. And that's transformed over the last couple of years to where now I'm not just going to play, have you in the lineup every day because you're senior, but I feel like every decision we try to make as a coaching staff with our lineup and our pitching rotation is to is to, is through the lens of trying to give our seniors the best season possible. So like, yeah, if I'm going to, you know, put a guy in this position, is that something that our seniors are going to be happy with? Like is Cole Weiland, who just graduated last year, it, he deserves to have the best senior year possible. If I make this decision or this decision, is that going to give Cole Weiland the best senior year possible? He's put in all this time and effort and energy, and I want things to go good for him. Like I want him to walk away from this program knowing that we did everything we could for him. And I want every player, of course, to feel that way, too. Well, I've got two thoughts on that. That's an interesting concept for sure. Um, I think the best thing I hear out of that, Max, is that um, we have to realize we're in a post-pandemic world and things are different, right? Four, five, six years ago, collegiately, what's the NIL? Seven, eight, nine years ago, what's a portal? You know what I mean? So we know the academic and the athletic world has changed Here's one thing I would do, and I would never tell you how to coach, but I'm going to give you a suggestion if you if you have that style again. Let's say you've got a freshman left fielder who's going off and raking, and now you're like, well, but we got to have this senior finish well, and he's got to have the best experience possible. You can start the senior and left, and you can actually not start the freshman. I would figure out a way to make that freshman DH or something, or at least have a conversation as to your why, because no parent or no kid will ever understand what you just said if their kid gets screwed and the senior gets elevated. Sorry for my Italian personality there. <laughs> no worries at all. I, I We do that 100%. We've had two fresh. We had a freshman starting at shortstop every game last year. Uh, freshman started all but six innings at catch. Like, we're going to put the best player in the best position we can every single time. I guess what I mean more is the idea of that if we get into a ball game and we're, we're in a position where we're up by six runs in the sixth inning, like, let's, let's find a way to make sure we get the guy who's, you know, running the game changer. And that's been basically his whole role all year. Let's find a way to get him into the game and give him opportunities to be successful. And I think sometimes as a head coach, you're putting these positions where, Let's say I have that kid that runs the iPad, right? Let's say he's a senior. He's a program guy. He's put in three years before this. He's done everything you've asked of him. He's just not, he's just not one of the dudes athletically. Uh, and, but he's deserved to have the spot, right? So he's, he's on the game changer. He's on the iPad. And we get into a game where uh, let's say we're, we're down by five or six or whatever. And the opposing team's just got a stud on the mound. And you, you're faced with this decision as a coach of like, okay, I know this sophomore kid's already over two. He's K'd twice, maybe backwards once. I've got this senior on the bench who could go in and I could have him strike out two because that's probably what's going to happen. Um, do I do I put him into that position? Do I wait until we've got another pitcher on the mound? Like there's just so many decisions that go into coaching where, right, like we right. talked about before, I want him to be confident. I want him to have a good time. If I put him in this situation and he fails, that's not good. He's probably going to fail. Oh, but what if he succeeds? Like what does it show? What kind of – like he? if I say I'm confident in him and that I don't put him in these positions, like, well, now he's not going to be confident. Like it's just a weird – there's just so many things that go into that decision when you're a head coach. Well, exactly right. And again, what I hear about this is 
do you and I, and to the coaches listening to this podcast, do we have an advanced scouting report to get some of our role players mm-hmm. to, to throw them a bone? Because the example you just gave maybe isn't the right time to put iPad Johnny into the game and to get blown up three consecutive swings. I think maybe, but you say, but gosh, next Friday we have an opponent and we're going to, we're going to get this kid opportunity and maybe it's to pinch run. Maybe it's to steal a bag. I'll tell you this. If you have good culture and I believe that you probably do, Max, or you wouldn't have me on this pod. If you truly are a culture and, and a team builder that promotes togetherness and team cohesion, I don't even need to hear about the story or be there. I guarantee you when you put iPad Johnny in the game, that bench better be fired up because they know what is happening. They know this thing is all about making moments and therefore making memories. I had a, a team we played against years ago. Was actually, I, I used to coach at North Salem High School, which is where I went to high school, and played with Rocky Gale, Paul Gale's son, who <laughs> coached Rich Dorman at Corbin University just down the road. And uh, anyway, so North Salem High School is in our league. I, I went back and coached there for a little while. Now I'm the head coach at South Salem High School. Anyway, North Salem uh, went and played against Summit High School a few years ago. And Summit High School had Richie Sexton as its head coach at the time. And North Salem High School had a, a kid who was kind of a, a team manager almost, a special needs kid. And But he came to all the practices. He did everything they asked him to do. He was fantastic. He helped you know dry the baseballs off. And uh, North's coach and, and Richie Sexton kind of arranged this opportunity for the kid to get in that bat in a game. And... Uh, you talk about creating moments and there, I, there's a video of it that they posted online at the time. Uh, and you see videos like this too, you know, in, in other sports as well. And the kid ends up getting a hit, a legitimate, like he hits a baseball in the field, even sprints it out and ends up scoring later in the inning. And you talk about creating moments and it's not always going to be a kid like that, but it was, it was such a cool thing to see. And you think about like all the people that are impacted by an individual moment and if you can create all these individual moments within a season, within a career for all these different players, you know, they have this opportunity to go out and create new moments. And it just kind of everything kind of spreads. and You just create this this better world through through what baseball like it's it's a it's it's magnificent. It's a cool thing that we have an opportunity to do. It's a huge opportunity. And then one thing that when we're in these moments or in this season or let's even call it a grind do we ever ask ourselves this thought-provoking question, Max? And that is, are any of my current players going to be future coaches and teachers? And let's say the answer is yes. Would they actually ever go on the stand, so to speak? Or would they ever actually give testimony that, you know what, I, um, I'm a teacher and a coach today because this coach impacted me, or I saw something different. Uh, You alluded to the Bo Nix quote with Dan Lanning. Mm. That whole soundbite to me, and again, I come from a soundbite world as a former TV guy. Soundbites can be manipulated. Soundbites are are not always true. Um, I love the soundbite that's so authentic and so real, you can actually get life out of it. And that is... When Bo Nick said he throws a pick against Georgia, who, oh, by the way, the pick might have been more impressive than anything else. That's why I wanted to show that video clip twice, is that the Oski or the interception is electric. 
Okay, Bo next throws a bomb, it gets picked off. But then when Dan Lanning meets him halfway and gives him a hug, Bo's like, that was different. So what if you and I, Max, continued to go oppo? Like, just go oppo. Like, the world does this. What if we went oppo? And again, I've seen it in basketball. I've seen special needs players get in the game and the head coach tells the opposing coach, hey, here's what's probably going to happen. I want you to kind of guard him but let him get a shot off. Right? I don't need to swat a special needs kid and go get a layup. That's actually called Bush. Yeah. But you'll see a young man who's just got some challenges and he makes a three. And next, you know, it's on SportsCenter as a top 10, as it should, by the way. Those are moments that I'm like, you know what? That's the redeeming part of athletics. That's the redeeming part of this thing called joy in sports. And I actually think those moments are actually sometimes kind of what we live for. Well, I, I remember when I started this podcast was actually when like right after COVID happened, because I was sitting around bored at home, like, <laughs> what can I do? Uh, and early on, like, it, it's a question I've kind of repeated to, to a lot of the high school coaches I've had on here is, you know, why are high school sports important? Why do they matter? What's the value of this whole thing? And it kind of came out of at the time, there was discussions, you know, on should we allow sports to still happen and all this stuff. And it just kind of started getting to the core, of, for me anyway, of of what is the point of all this? And you, you mentioned earlier of like state championships. They're cool. Uh, there's luck involved. We've come close a couple of times. We've also lost double the amounts of games we've won in some years. Like we just, there's so much that are out of your control and there's so much that you can control. But at the end of the day, like, what have I done if I, you know, if I finish my career and I look back, like, what is it that I'm going to say was like, this is what made my time coaching high school baseball valuable to people, to society? Like, what was it that made this whole thing worth it? And if I can't answer that question, then, then I have failed, I feel like. Like, I haven't, I, I was chasing things that I probably shouldn't have been chasing. Well, you you can chase them. I mean... Here's what I would tell you. If if you want to go chase a state championship, go for it. Good luck with that. And I hope, I hope it actually works out and that you get to hold that trophy. But here's what I would tell you. You might win a state title and you might actually lose aspects of your marriage. You might win a state championship. And then here's the really tricky part. 48 hours later, it's not as euphoric. And next thing you know your star player transfers, or you win that, that we don't even call it a ship, Max, it's called a chip, right? So you win that <laughs> ship and your AD says, Hey, uh, you're probably going to get coach of the year, but, um, there's actually an investigation because your JV coach was bullying and you're like, what in the world is going on? That can happen whether you win a state championship or whether you go, Oh, and 20. But I have this phrase that the quest to be the best will leave you a hot mess. And um, people can disagree with that, but I want to chase process. I want a, I want a chance to win a state championship with my guys or our guys because it's attainable. It, it's maybe in the cards. I, I just want to continue to battle with my guys. And yes, at the end of the year, if we're able and fortunate to dogpile, Wow, what a journey. But I also want to count the cost as I go because winning it all, um, it's great for the resume. 
Um, it's great for you to be validated as a coach. Funny thing at the high school I coached at for about seven years, they've won two state championships and um, um, maybe, maybe even three. Um, they're going for a, a, a three-peat this year. So it would actually be four in eight years. Our son played there. Uh, I, I helped coach JV and they needed an extra person. And I said, no. And then they need an extra person. And I said, no. And then they need an extra person. And I said, you know what? I'll, I'll try it out. I ran up by our son. <laughs> I ran up by our son, Bennett. You'll love this quote. Get Bennett on the pod for crying out loud. I go, Bennett, are you okay if I'm one of your high school baseball coaches? Uh, I coached him in little league and club and travel and stuff. And, and he goes, ah, he goes, dad, you're no good for me, but you're really good for everybody else. Um, <laughs> he, goes, he goes, you're too hard on me. And I took that as a compliment ish, but here's what's funny, Max, uh, his freshman year, he played on JV. He got called up to varsity and I specifically removed myself from going up as one of the JV assistants to varsity because mm -hmm. I wanted to be a dad in the stands. Well, they actually won the, the ship that year. He didn't play. He got to take pregame at the Rangers and Royal Stadium. That was such a thrill as a ninth grader cool. taking ground balls at short. My wife goes, do you think Bennett's going to play in the state title game? I said, only if it goes 18 innings and I have him lay down a sacrifice bunt. Then his number might get called. So Bennett dogpiled his freshman year. His junior year, we beat the top seed. I was in the dugout in the quarters, but then we lost in the semis. Um, but then I, I was only like the team chaplain or character coach the last couple of years. And they've won a bunch of ships in a row. And my joke is, once we got Beltramo out of the dugout, Northwest Christian is flourishing in state championships. So I had to remove myself. And now Bob Howery and the crew, they're rolling. It's like, it reminds me of those professional teams or even college teams who like they're bare bottom and then all of a sudden they get really good and the head coach has been there for a while and they're like they're so close knocking on the door and then you know the ownership decides you know you've, you've taken us as far as you can we got to get the next person in like who knows how to actually win the end end game so they got rid of you and things went well what what made you you said a sophomore year you were in the dugout uh, was that just for playoffs or was that for for everything. Yeah, the, well, yeah, the whole enchilada. So, um, yeah. coached, um, coached his, his freshman year, which he was on the JV team. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we only had a varsity and JV. We only had one field and, um, uh, said no three times. And then I was a JV assistant. Well then here's, what's interesting. That varsity team won the state championship coach got coach of the year. He left. So all the JV coaches were promoted and same thing. Bennett's a sophomore and he might have a chance to start on varsity and play. And, uh, Coach Howard was like, hey, um, I don't know if he's going to make varsity. And I said, look, I have nothing to do with my son's playing time. I'm just the character coach, the Jesus guy, the BP chucker. And sometimes I get a little animated at opposing first base coaches anyways. Uh, and so I was there uh, for his whole career. And then he was a senior in 2020. And we actually thought we had a shot to win it all. And um, obviously that season got, got shortened. But um, so yeah, I was in the dugout for everything that I stuck around for a year or two. And then I stopped when I wanted to go watch him play in college, either in San Diego or Texas. And so my wife and I just said, hey, we're done. Uh, we'll help out if you need to. I can motivational speak if you need me. But kind of walked away um, to go watch him. And they've had crazy success. They've got really good players. And I'm telling you, Bob Howery is one of the best coaches I've ever been around. He played in the big leagues, but never acts like he played in the big leagues. And um, knows pitching, obviously. And they got a really good squad again this year to maybe go after a three-peat. And I'll be at the game potentially somewhere in the stands cheering these guys on. <laughs> what do you think makes him such a good coach other than his knowledge of baseball? 
Buddy, that's a phenomenal question. And I'm going to try to answer this with like two quick, quick answers. He will keep guys accountable and there's no nonsense. Mm. Like we'll have fun. We'll go get snacks before the game. They might even buy a pizza after the game. But Bob Howery commands the room and he knows guys are not going to cut corners or he will basically tell you what time it is at a Christian school, which is actually amazing. There's no loosey goosey. Um, but I would say to answer that again shortly, um, keeps people accountable. And um, I think he just, he sets the standard and he better reach the standard. I think that goes to how you defined culture at the, at the clinic that you spoke at recently, right? You said it's, it's what we do around here and what we tolerate around here and not ironically, that's essentially what you just said about Bob Harry. What makes him such a good coach? Well, and that's funny because I was so humbled to be able to speak at that max. And I remember, um, I called, um, Jason Crone, who was kind of the director of operations and he booked me to speak. And I said, all right, Crone, um, you've got a coach from Oregon there who I happen to know, Blake Hawksworth. You've got an Oregon State coach who I highly admire and respect, and Ryan Gibson, who I've got to meet recently. I said, what does a culture coach even wear? Like, do I need to show up like in a Grand Canyon baseball hoodie because I'm with Grand Canyon as a volunteer? Do I need to wear like a Brewers hoodie because I'm the Brewers chaplain? He's like, he kind of laughed at me. He's like, no, you wear whatever you want because you're actually not the high profile coach. And it actually freed me up. So I'm wearing like black joggers and a black hoodie with no logo. And I was just like this culture guy, but I'm telling you right now, Bob Howery does not like to speak publicly, but he might need to be on that docket next year as a 2025 presenter. And again, it's sexy because he's won a bunch of state championship, but like he is straight laced and game faced. And he's very tall and he doesn't have any body fat. So he just commands the room. But yeah, culture can be defined by what we do around here or what we tolerate around here. You said a few times earlier, uh, my guys, our guys. And I remember that so, you know, poetically from the talk that you gave as well and how it's interesting when, because we've all talked to coaches like this, when I love to talk to coaches before a game. So like, you know, you know, when they're getting their field ready or I'm getting mine ready and we're pregame before there's any really warmups even going on and a head coach and his team show up and I'll talk to the head coach for a while, usually around home plate. And um, you get a, you get a really good feel for what kind of a coach they are when you start asking them about their team, because, and you made this point so clear as well. They'll, they'll either say about their players, my guys or our guys, you know, the same difference essentially, um, or they'll say these guys. Well, again, I, I've, I can't say I've studied that, but I kind of think I've had it in the back of my um, dome for about 30 years. I told you before we began recording this that my come from is television broadcasting. And I used to be a sportscaster at a couple of NBC TV stations and I loved anchoring, but even more, I loved going to a sporting event, sitting on press row and getting the chance to interview an athlete after a juego, after a game, and just being able to kind of learn from them. Now in those situations, they knew I was interviewing them because there was a microphone in front of them. Mm -hmm. But 
in my most recent career uh, with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, I would just go interview coaches, but they never knew I was interviewing them. Hey, how are you? How's your squad? How's your family? What's your kid's birth dates? Like, I was probably a culture coach 30 years ago without even knowing it. And hey, coach, how are you? Oh, we're great. We just got field of the year. Well, no kidding, man. This yard is immaculate. How much time do you spend here? Well, don't ask. Okay, I won't ask the I won't ask the grass conversation. Obviously, in Oregon, if we got turf, we're in business, you know? So yeah. you ask people questions and then invariably they tell on themselves. That's okay. So we tell on ourselves, right? So that's a funny conversation, by the way, for a different day. But <laughs> hey, hey, coach, how's the squad? Man, B, I got I, whew, we're ve- we got some really good players. Okay, so you said we, and we got players. So now here's the thing: you're in, you're in the boat with them. This isn't hard. You're not trying to trick me. A couple years later, hey, coach, how you doing? Okay, well that's good body language. What does that mean? <laughs> how's how's the squad? Now here's the thing, Max. I've done my research. I have Max preps. I have a sports page. I have this internet. I know the results of the game. I study people. I study box scores. I study culture. And so, hey, coach, how are you? Now, I know they lost nine to eight to their rival. I know that. The next day they have me come out and speak or the next day I'm in the area for a dynamite drop-in, pop-in. Hey, coach, how are you? These guys don't get it, B. And then I just shut my mouth because he'll tell on himself. These guys don't, these guys don't get it, Okay. And they might not. Max, that coach can be 100% right on fact. But what he's actually really telling himself, himself is that his feelings and his emotions have gotten away. These guys don't get it. Well, that kind of sucks for you, coach, because it's only March and you got two more months to try to win some more quails. <laughs> so I don't, I, don't, I don't say figure it out. I don't say you... you, you yeah, I don't say you don't know what you're doing. I just put a little note in my back pocket for a rainy day. Maybe I pray for that coach when I leave the yard, but I'm like, man, that coach is going through a struggle. That's real. So I just want to make sure we say our guys and not these or those guys. You mentioned on there, and it reminded me too of of post game talks. As you mentioned, like just last night day, and I was thinking of like, oh yeah post game after that's kind of hard uh and i'll tell you what we did so um my head coach when i was a player was was chris lee he was the first guy i had on this podcast some 90 episodes ago uh oh him oh him so much he, he got me into coaching i coached under him he was fantastic and and when i played for him and uh which he still did all the way up until he retired uh, after every practice and game we would have a round table and you, you get in a circle and each player gets a chance to speak. You can pass if you want. Then the coaches speak and, and there you go. And so I, I got to South Stone High School as a head coach. Dude, we're implementing roundtable, obviously. So we do roundtable. We do it for three or four years. It's great. And over time, I, I, I don't know how we even got to this point, but we eventually got to the point where it's like, ah, I don't really want to do roundtable after practice. Like I want to go home now. And it probably, it probably actually relates to when I had a kid because that was about four years ago. And so we'd get done with practice and it'd be like, all right, see ya. And then the next day we'd start practice with round table. And then this last year we got to games and like after games, we would always do round table. And even this year, this past year, uh, we get to round table and I we're about three games in the year. It's kind of like, you know what? I, I just kind of want to go home after this game, whether we won or lost, it made no difference. And so we also stopped doing it after games too. And so now the end of our day, whether it's a practice or a game, we essentially get together 
we you know love you guys we you know we do a do a you know break and uh the guys will you know high five each other give hugs handshake or whatever and we all we, we all leave we, we get out of there and you talked about the post game talk too and how uh everybody does it their own way but um the the post game talk can be really how oh, what's the right word maybe counterintuitive production yeah, I, yeah I, w- I would just say it's overrated yeah my my simple thought on that and i've had to learn from my mistakes because i was the guy as the assistant coach or the head coach and i would um I wouldn't have the ability um, to not be well thought out. The game is over. If it's club and 13, 14, you, you have a brief conversation. They go to Chick-fil-A. They come back in a couple hours, right? So, Or you might play right away. If I had to do it all over again, Max, I would talk less. That's just a fact. But my my high school coaching career, the head coach and the, and the assistant coach, they would like come to me last, which was a bad idea. Cause I'm too verbal and they would say, B, what do you got? And then I would always say this. I would say, I got one thing. And then I would give them like three things, mm-hmm. which that's on me. That lacks integrity. So where I've seen it best now, and I mentioned Scott Radinsky, Scott Radinsky played at Simi Valley high school in California was a left-handed flamethrower. He could throw a million pitch for the white Sox. Um, he, he was a pitching coach for, for the Indians with Francona. Well, last summer, I had a chance to coach a summer league team with Radinsky. And I was only there a couple of days a week. And he was there every day as the pitching coach. Well, he told our son, hey, post-game meetings, they're useless. No one listens. It's overrated. What are we doing? And that's when I wanted to give this example. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Dodgers losing the first game of the year? And we're talking specifically at Chavez Ravine. I think the Dodgers this year open up on the road. But their first home game, which typically is a day game, can you imagine the Dodgers lose that game? And Dave Roberts is wearing out Mookie Betts for the entire, I believe the, the, the attendance at DS, at Dodger Stadium, used to be 57,505. Check my math on that. But can you imagine Dave Roberts lighting up Freddie Freeman for going 0 for 1? I mean, like, this is preposterous. Now, of course, the example doesn't carry weight because those guys make more money than Dave Roberts ever will. But how many times do we just see coaches berating players, their families are waiting, their grandma's there. It's like, shut the H up and and just talk to them for two minutes. So the best thing I saw in Arizona recently was a good friend of mine was coaching, been there forever at the school since it opened. He's like, B, we have a 30 second, here's the deal nice job or hey don't worry about it. we'll talk tomorrow um you have two songs he literally gives his players two songs to go see grandma kiss the girlfriend get a gatorade tell tell him i'll meet you at red robin in an hour then they come back for field work and coach says we will not address anything with baseball until the next day because they're not listening and it's overrated i actually love that my brother I do too. And that it's funny that you mentioned that because I had mentioned Chris Lee is the guy who I stole roundtable from and I, who I played for. And he was doing this 20 years ago with, with the first part you just mentioned there, the last part you just mentioned, which was before we do field work, 
before we talk to each other, even like go and thank your fans and come back when you're done. You, you mentioned the two song limit. doesn't matter what it is, but um, go thank them first. <laughs> let them go home or let them go get in the car and get warm or cool down. If it's hot, whatever it might be like, let them know you appreciate them. Take a quick break. Let's get the field put to bed. Let's get out of here. Cause I'm going to see you again tomorrow. Cause it's baseball and it never really seems to end. Um, I wanted to ask you this too, because I, I, I got to see it in person, obviously, and then I've, I've heard it through your podcast. And you've been married for 30 years, a couple kids. Uh, you and your wife do a lot of work together. Uh, you, you do the podcast together. You've got one thing. Um, you've got a chance to talk to high school coaches directly about this. And, and like you mentioned, sometimes things can go go poorly in a marriage if you're maybe a little bit too focused on on the baseball side of things too. Uh, if you could give, uh, I don't even know if advice is the right word, but if if you could give some sauce to what's made your marriage work so well for so long, uh, what is it looking back? Well, that's, that's phenomenal. Um, clearly selection is key. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have, to, we have to get back to the draft, right? And for some, <laughs> for some reason, I've I've been able Max to do about thirty different wedding ceremonies. I had a couple of GCU Grand Canyon University athletes twenty some years ago said, "B, can you marry us?" And I was like, "Uh, I have no idea. That's way above my pay grade." But uh, Megan, the volleyball player, married Eric, the outfielder. That was the first ever wedding that I did. And I officiated, I called our church and I said, uh, how do I marry someone? They go, well, you got to be a ordained minister. Now that that was 20 some years ago. Now you can just go online and make something up, I'm sure, and get a piece of paper. But, um, so I, I, I did this wedding, um, for this couple and I realized, oh my gosh, Sherry, people are now going to be looking at our marriage to a greater detail because now we're the ones giving marriage advice. And so that's a, that's part of it. Max, but I would say, what's the sauce to marriage? It's pregame selection, but I think you've got to have some clear goals and those might change along the way. But my wife and I were passionate about leaving a legacy, but let's be real. Fertility is a real deal. There's no guarantee you're going to be able to have biological children. And so would you want to walk down a foster or an adoption? We have two beautiful kids. We actually were going to adopt a couple of years ago and it didn't work out with the placement. But um, I, I think the greatest thing I would give you, Max, and not knowing you were going to ask me this, but since we have the common bond of coaching, coach, 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 let your players see your marriage. Hmm. Let now you might be like, no, no, B, my wife hates baseball. Okay. Well, that's a different conversation. You should probably reach out to Sherry Beltramo to be to be life coached by you. And I mean that sincerely. So um, what what's the same page? Well, the page might change. The job might change. You might get fired. You might um, have expectations that weren't met. Maybe you can't get paid enough. So you go from the school teacher coach, but maybe couldn't make enough money. So now you, so now you get that job at Home Depot or you get that job at the restaurant and then you coach on the side. Maybe you're a firefighter and that's where you where you make all your money. Like, Every marriage looks uniquely different, Max, but I'll say this. Um, I had a lady, um, she was a baseball coach's wife. How interesting is this? Hmm. And she said, Brian, would you leave your job? 
for the sake of your marriage. Because Sherry and I were um, at a rough spot and we've always tried to get marriage counseling. And I, I recommend that. Again, my wife and I will do it for free. We love pouring into marriages. Um, this this gal, her name was Cindy. She said, B, w- would you leave your job um, for the sake of your marriage? I said, in a heartbeat. Well, what I think that meant to Sherry was, oh my gosh, he loves the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He loves baseball, but he actually does love me too. And he would drop all of that for us. And I just, I think I'm a workaholic. I'm a grinder. Um, in this most recent season, I think there's been a deep work in me to say no, but to um, really press into culture and climate with, with programs and team chemistry, it's a passion of mine. And so the same thing exists in your marriage. How do I serve Sherry this weekend? Real quick on this, February and March are the busiest months of the year for me as the Grand Canyon baseball chaplain and the Milwaukee Brewers spring training chaplain. And sometimes Sherry can dread that time because she knows she won't see me. Oh, by the way, Sherry's a quality time gal. Ask your, ask your spouse what her love language is. Is she quality time? Is she acts of service? Is she gifts? Um, there's, is she physical touch, right? Is she words of affirmation? We scout our players. Heck, we go scout opponents that we might not even play in a bracket. How crazy is that? Scout your wife. She's worth it. And now you've got me fired up, Max. (laughs) Well, good. I I appreciate that you got fired up about it. I think it's important. I think one of the – my wife is wonderful and she's – She's listened to lots of my podcasts because she must be really bored to have to put this in her ears. But she, one of the things that cracks her up sometimes is when there'll be a coach on and I'll ask him about marriage or about family and work life and all that stuff. And they'll, they'll say like, well, you know, my, my wife and my team are, are one and the same. She comes to everything. We're all this one big thing. And my wife loves baseball. She loves that I coach. She loves that. But she's like, I would never in a million years, like get home, like talk about her, get home from work with our kid. And then immediately like, okay, now I got to go to Max's team's like, you know, parent dinner night. And then like, like, that's just not the type of person that she is. And that's fine. But I think so many of us get this like notion of, of like what we expect our wife to just do or give up or, or husband, whatever it might be, if, you know, maybe other coaches are listening as well. And if you, like you said, if you don't know what your significant other is and you, you misrepresent what you think they want, that's a huge problem. Uh, and so it's, it's refreshing to hear. I love listening to people or, or talking to people who've been married for a long time and just asking them like, what is it that works for you? Because uh, I think it's, it'd be like having a 30 year, you know, major league coaching veteran in front of you and not asking him like, Hey man, what do you got for me? Yeah. I think, I think the last thing on that is that we were told by a mentor decades ago They said couples who pray together, stay together. And while praying might not be your thing, um, I think when Sherry and I pray, we connect. So find ways to connect. Maybe it's going bowling together. Maybe... Maybe you send a JV coach to go to go scout, and next you know your wife is like, "Oh my gosh, where is my husband?" Because this guy would not have done this five years ago. Make an adjustment, and again, everyone in the whole world knows when a catcher gets crossed up. It's not hard to figure out. Like the catcher gets his hand blown up. Well, if you don't communicate or connect with your wife, you basically are crossing her up, and that doesn't usually last too long. 
<laughs> no, not at all. Uh, it's not good for anybody when that happens. Uh, loved having you on. Uh, I, there's like in my head, I'm thinking of all these different avenues that we we didn't go down that could have of like shame versus uh, like uh, affirmation based coaching. I think of like high school coaches. So much of it is involving parents. We could have gotten deep into the road of parents. You've parented a kid through sports. We could have gotten, we, we kind of brushed the surface. We didn't get super deep into it. Um, shouting praise, whispering criticism. Like I just think of all these things that um, we could go down and for the sake of time, we'll kind of end up kind of taking a step back and pausing it from here. But I did want to give you one last chance. If there's, if there's anything that you maybe didn't get to talk about that you wanted to, anything that you wanted to say, whatever it is, or if you just want to say, go 49ers because the Super Bowl is tomorrow at the time recording this, I don't care, but kind of hand the mic over to you once more. Yeah. I think my final thought is, and I'm learning this. Um, every time I speak, every time I I'm able to motivate or inspire, I try to share a little bit about what I'm learning. So it puts me in the same room at the same time with my audience. I never want to speak at people. I want to speak with them. And here's one of the things that I would leave you and I and our audience with today. There actually is no such thing as failure. It's just a part of the process. So we're in a sport that's based on failure. And like we tell people like, hey, we can't fail here. It's not actually allowed. Well, yes, it is allowed because we're going to make mistakes. Do we actually celebrate mistakes? I talked to a hitting coach um, of a college team a couple of years ago. I said, why are you guys so good? He goes, they're allowed to fail. I was like, whoa. Okay, B, did you just trick yourself? You said there's no failure, but then you just said they're allowed to fail. I would actually rename the word failing. You can call it failing forward. Uh, I've thrown BP before. We had a great coach I work with with the club scene. Um, he would actually tell a kid, good miss. Well, what do you mean? That kid just hit a ball off the top of the turtle. That's not a good swing. We need to be correct. Well, guess what? That kid knows he's not on time. That kid knows the turtle is actually an out. It's called F1, right? It's called F3. The kid knows. What if you said, hey, good miss? You might Jedi mind trick them into thinking, hey, let's go work on being on time. Because I think what we always say is when we're coaching is, what are you doing? As opposed to, hey, man, I see you. This game is really hard. Let's take the pressure off you. Maybe let's go Maybe let's go work tomorrow on being on time. I would try that as opposed to we can't fail. No, you actually want your kids to fail in practice so they can actually do better in the game. Failure is a part of the process. Last thing is this. Boise State football 10, 15 years ago was probably some of the best mid-major football in America. You know how I know? I'm pretty sure Ian Johnson scored a touchdown against Adrian Peterson and the Oklahoma Sooners in the Fiesta Bowl. I'm pretty sure Ian Johnson got down on a knee and asked that gal to marry him. And that dude's married to this day. But Chris Peterson did something at Boise State football and they had tons of fun. I think those guys were allowed to fail in practice and then they were able to actually do what they do in games. That's what I got, Max. And somehow they kept beating the Oregon Ducks. <laughs> so I got to watch. Wow, you really ticked off. I mean, now I'm just personal. That's okay. It, it, it all works out fine. Boise State was a lot of fun to watch, man. I appreciate you so much. Like I said, I, I'm glad that uh, that the junk email is a good little joke, little fun thing. Uh, stole your email and we found it and, and we were able to still connect and make it happen. So appreciate you so much, B, and, and I can't thank you enough for doing this thing. God bless you, Max. Thanks, bud. 
Dude's a stud, man. He just gets it. He's authentic. He's transformational. You have to hear his podcast. It's like 20, 25 minutes, sometimes even less, 15-minute little snippets. It's fantastic. He just started it this past year. You will learn so much in such a short period of time. I'll toss all the links down to his stuff down in the show notes. Such a pleasure to have Brian Beltram on the podcast. I hope you took some good notes along the way. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. And most importantly, if you found any value at all from this or any other episode, please share on social media via email to your fellow coaches or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter. I really don't care how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit because ultimately, if you do that, more listeners, more guests, better growth. Well, that's how we all get better. Huge fist bump to B for jumping on the call with me. Thanks to get a netting pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me. Even if that recommendation is you follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at HS coaches club. Check out the website, highschoolcoachesclub.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.